0: Oh my
1: goodness, man, what a
2: shot. Hello
1: everyone and welcome to the uninformed handball hours official match predictor show and if you've been following us on social media over the last couple of days you'll know that we are terrible at this or we're giving it another go and we're bringing in some bigger experts this time or some bigger names uh if you could call them that i mean we had a plethora of brilliant guests in the opening pre-championship prediction show we did we've got a couple of big ones today as well we're going to introduce those shortly but first we'll introduce the three of us from the uninformed handball hour podcast i'm chris o'reilly currently top of the three of us in the predictor league we've got brian campion who missed (laughs) the first few games in the predictor league
3: brian how are you i'm good i'm good i thought that wasn't going to come up in the conversation but you brought it up straight away chris thanks very much had to go straight in there and well you've you've talked
1: about it enough on the podcast over the last few days and we've got the middleman Alex Kula she did seem to be having a streak early in the competition but much like Hungary's
4: hopes have fallen at the final hurdle early on in the group or in the championship I definitely stepped on the line in the last couple of rounds and uh, missed a couple of penalties <laughs> and t- taken some ridiculous shots uh, which means that I'm only 24 points ahead of Brian, uh, who missed seven games. So uh, I need to get my ass in gear for the for the main round. Yeah, well, maybe
1: we'll learn a thing or two over the next hour or so with the guests we've got coming on. We're going to cover both of the main round groups. We're we'll bringing a guest to talk about some of the key teams and the key storylines we've experienced over the last few days. And after we've heard from them, we're going to give the predictions for the main round matches. And all of that is in aid of the match predictor competition on the Home of Handball app, which if you haven't got already, well, there's a chance you still might be able to catch Brian. <laughs> if you only got only missed a few matches, uh, you can you can pick it up now in the main round. Or if you've already got the app and you're playing the match predictor. You'll, able, you'll be able to see on our social media and also later on in the stream the link to go to to join the league. Because even if you've not joined the league yet, you can hop in at any time. I made myself feel better by joining the EHF media one yesterday. And I'm up to second place in that one already. So happy days. Uh, behind one EHF journalist, guess who that is? Guess who's top of the EHF media one, Brian? Um, it's a man famous for his bad predictions bjorn Patson, no really. it's bjorn patson bjorn wow. Patson is top of the table so far, which is very, very impressive. So on to the the guests who we're gonna have later on, first up in about ten to twelve minutes time, covering group one, we're gonna have Rasmus Boyson, who is a Twitter handball champion, I think it's fair to call him over the last few years. He plays professional handball for Fredericia in the Danish league, currently in third place and having an amazing season. And he's also commentating on some of the games for Danish TV too. So he's really doing it all. Uh, thankfully, he's managed to squeeze in a few minutes of his time to chat with us. He's a real friend of the podcast. And we're going to have a first time guest for us then covering group two. It's the legendary Stefan Kretschmar with over 200 international appearances for Germany a uh, European silver medal, an Olympic silver medal to his name, Champions League title as well with SC Magdeburg. He's also commentating on sportdeutschland.tv. So two really interesting and knowledgeable guests here to set us straight later on. But before we go into them, maybe we can look back at some of the interesting stories from the last few days. And I think it would be amiss of us not to start with the drama in Budapest last night and where the joint hosts Hungary were dumped out way too early and were left with 20,000 Hungarian fans
4: in a state of shock. Alex what did you make of that game? I joined the 20,000 fans in a state of shock. Uh, I really thought that no matter what Hungary would would just get through it but it was a game that they should have won and even at the end as I'm referred to in our introduction, they made three absolutely ridiculous mistakes, um with the game on the line, the first of which is a penalty miss by Dominic Mate. Then a fast break where Boko stepped on the line. Then they got a ch- another chance. They got another chance with twenty five seconds left, and at least Sila draw, which may have seen them progress to the main round and Mate Leggei who has been an absolute force at this championship a a real leader for this team he took a shot with 25 seconds left jump shot over the Icelandic defence that was easily saved by Gustafsson maybe he thought that Hungary needed a win and he probably was right as Netherlands did uh, pick up that victory in the end Um, but yeah it was really heartbreaking stuff for everyone in the arena i think the the key
1: thing to that is as you said they had so many glorious chances towards the end and those three in particular on reflection if they'd managed to score them they would have had the two goal victory they needed to guarantee that they'd go through to the main round in the end weren't able to put any of them away i was watching some of the highlights again this morning and that final shot as well from Mate Lekoi, with thirty seconds left on the clock, it just like uh, I mean Paul uh, Paul Bray said it all in the commentary on AHF TV, where he said,
4: "What are you doing?"
1: <laughs> it was one of those rare moments where he just broke out of neutrality and just pure, <laughs> purely like, "What are you actually doing?" And the look on Leckey's face as well. They did a close up of him shortly afterwards, where he went as pale as a ghost. But I think it dawned on him that, uh, yes, he actually made that decision. Uh, really hard to fathom. I know you were in Bratislava at the time, Brian, covering the other games, but did you have a chance to, to witness any of it or, or what did you make of the whole experience of, uh, Budapest being disappointed and both hosts in the end being knocked out in the first round?
3: Yeah. I mean, especially the game last night between Iceland and Hungary. I was really glad that I was not Icelandic or Hungarian because, There was so many points in the match where if I was either nationality, I think I would have been ripping my hair out if I had hair. Um, but, uh, there was one point, there was one moment when I really thought it was, it was done and dusted. It was, that's when Bjarki Ellison stepped up to take that penalty and he, and then he missed that penalty. And the Hungarian keepers were notorious for not saving penalties the whole tournament. And then all of a sudden they're pulling off penalty saves. So as a neutral, it was a really, really entertaining game, even though. It was really messy, but sometimes those messy moments are what make the excitement and it really was uh that. And uh I I think it could have went it really could have went either way. They seemed to be both feeling the pressure. And uh and yeah, I just it's it it, as Paul Bray said in the commentary, I think maybe that occasion and the build up for Hungary was maybe a little bit too much for that squad and there was a lot of emphasis on this being the end of a cycle for these players, the new arenas, all this stuff maybe got to them a little bit too much. It was maybe too much pressure and they weren't playing with ease like we've seen them in the past.
1: Well, we've just uh, had Alex Gules turn into Rasmus Boysen here. <laughs> I don't know how that's happened. It's the magic of technology. <laughs> so Rasmus, maybe we're going to have to get you, <laughs> get you to, to jump out of this call. Because you're, you're nice and early and then you're going to have to jump in in a few minutes and maybe we can have Clemens, who's working in the background, uh, sort out a new link for you. So, uh, a little teaser of what's to come <laughs> with, uh, Rasmus Poison. But <laughs> we well, still got the two of us now, Brian. And I, it's what you, what you said there about, um, the build up, I think is really interesting because when we, we talked to Ben about Hedi, before the championship as well in one of our preview podcasts. And he mentioned that they had been working together since the 15th of December. Mm. So in this championship with so many teams completely lacking in preparation or not even having the players that they prepared with here at the championship and having to change with so many COVID cases or injuries, this Hungarian team, for the vast majority of it, have been able to stay completely healthy and have trained together for a month that still haven't been able to deliver and uh, i mean what do you what do you read
3: into this uh, it's just hugely disappointing everything was just set up so perfectly and as you said the preparation was uh, way longer than, than anyone else's preparation alex is back but yeah <laughs> 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 from your when you morphed into uh, rasmus boys in there for a few minutes um, it was a beautiful experience really.
4: <laughs> I uh, I felt how it, I felt how it was to be a good handball player for a little while. My all my dreams came yeah, true he- for a couple of minutes. <laughs> your, your head must be full of stats at the moment.
1: <laughs> but uh sorry just just to get Alex up to speed now we were talking about the fact that Hungary had managed to avoid any kind of absences and had been working together for months leading up to this and brian was giving his take on that
3: yeah i was just saying that i mean the, the everything was lined up for success for them and yeah I, I i just think they maybe maybe didn't have the personalities that was needed apart from maybe matt at, at some moments in the games where for people to stand up and kind of take responsibility i think they kind of did wilt to a certain extent and they really didn't look like the hungry team from the world championship of the past and uh yeah it's just it's 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 a really it's a really really tough lesson for them but i hope from here on
4: out it will be a, a bit of a new start and maybe a last point on that to say that i think one thing we haven't considered is that uh benson van was not at full strength um in this group stage so they lost him in the first game so uh they lost him kind of uh, half Halfway through the first half, um, which I think made a big difference in that game against the Netherlands. They didn't have them for Portugal, um, but they did manage to squeeze that one that, that one out, and then he came back in for the last game and still performed really well, but waned a little bit. And in the past, uh, especially in the last European championship, Benson Van um was the player that they went to in key situations. So when it is close, when it's a one goal game, the ball got to Bensa, and they didn't have that option uh, for key stages during the group stage. So that's a real pity.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, it's a result in the end that like as neutrals, I don't think any of us wanted to see in the end because at a championship like this, you always want to, to see the host, particularly a host nation like this, when they're able to pack out an arena like that to to come in and stay in the tournament as long as possible because uh, the atmosphere they generated over the last few days was amazing but as we alluded to at the start they had their chances and they blew it so we can't dwell on that for too much longer and instead we're going to focus on some of the teams that are there and with that we're going to bring in rasmus Boyson as rasmus Boysen, not as Alex Kulesh this time and I introduced them at the top of the show I'm going to introduce them again Rasmus Boysen who is a hero for all handball people on Twitter a professional player with Fredericia in Denmark who are having a storm or they're pulling off in Netherlands here they're in third place in the Danish league at the moment and also he's a commentator for this championship with TV2 in Denmark so he's really doing it all
3: Rasmus how are you I'm good thanks so Rasmus, um, I think probably a good place to start is you could tell us maybe your prediction before the Euro. What was it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the same as you guys. No, I, I had uh, Hungary to go for the silver medals. So it's the same as, as every prediction before a championship for me. So uh, nothing new there.
3: So you had, was it Denmark, Hungary? And who was who was your third place again?
0: Uh, Sweden. <laughs>
3: Sweden. So, apart from second spot, would you stick to first and third place for the moment?
0: Uh, it changes every second, right? Uh, I thought maybe some days ago that Germany had a had a chance to go to the semifinals, and now I heard uh, I heard just uh, three new positive cases, and it's just so so difficult to to predict anything. Uh, but of course, I will stick with Denmark. I, I think. Also, as a Dane, I need to do that, and everything is looking great so far. But uh, I also think that France has su- uh, surprised me uh, and played very good. So probably I'll go for them as, uh, as silver medalists. But as stated, I think that it could change in every second, mm-hmm. to be honest.
4: And was your prediction, the one 2 three, uh, which excluded France at the start, was that maybe a little bit of hope? Uh, from a Danish perspective, that you you wouldn't have to face uh, France, who have been uh, Denmark's Achilles heel uh, in the last uh, few years. So was it more hope?
0: Uh, No, actually not, because I knew that we uh, already would uh, face them in the main round. Uh, So that was not a hope. Uh, Actually, it was just my predictions. And (laughs) I thought, uh, of course, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed in, in Hungary. I thought that the home uh, court could, could help them go through, but I also saw that, um, France, of course, had some injury issues, uh, lost a lot of important players. But, uh, of course, they have a very wide team and a lot of good young uh, players coming up. And you can never say that France don't have a chance in a championship. They always have a little bit the same as uh, Spain. So, uh, yeah, I have to change now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we'll see. Uh, the most important for me, of course, is that Denmark will will win the the medal, uh, this uh, gold medal in the end. And we will talk a lot more about Denmark. And
1: interestingly enough, from the podcast perspective, we haven't actually talked about Denmark yet because there's not much to talk about. There's, we'll have enough time for them later in the championship, I think. But now that we're coming into the main round, uh, I think it is particularly interesting to. Talk about them, but as a whole, I want to get your perspective. Of what we've seen on the court, how like how has it differed to what you expected? I mean, some of the results have been a surprise. Maybe that itself is not much of a surprise. But what have you noticed about this championship in terms of the style of play and the way the teams have played that has uh, stood out for you and, and
0: been a particular interest for you? Yeah, I think that it's maybe a little bit surprising that uh, teams like Norway and Sweden who Uh, made a breakthrough uh, by playing fast and uh, very uh, sea-worthy handball. Uh, They have not done that in this uh, championship. And now we see other uh, nations do the same, Uh, like uh, the Netherlands, like Iceland. They play fast, they play great handball, and they are uh, doing uh, some great results. So I think that it's shown that that if you have the ability to play uh, fast transition handball, you have a great uh, chance also as a little nation to to uh, get some, some great results. And we also saw that some of the teams who, who did manage that, just like Hungary, had some problems. So fast and attractive handball is also very good at championships, I guess.
4: And do you think maybe, um, so fast handball works, but... Do you think this these teams might start to tire out as the tournament goes on? So it works really well in the preliminary round, um, especially teams like Iceland and Netherlands who may not have as deep a squad as other countries and a different style of handball might kind of be the one that wins the championship.
0: I guess so. Uh, when it comes to the Netherlands, yeah, I think the the problem will be that they don't have enough players. They already looked a little bit tired, I guess, against Portugal. I actually think that Iceland has a very uh, wide team with a lot of good players, uh, especially offensively. I guess so. Uh, historically, we see we've seen a lot of times that <laughs> Iceland, when going to the main round, they they'll have some problems. Uh, maybe this could be the year, but they'll have a very tough uh, first match in the main round against Denmark. Uh, I think they'll lose that, and then we'll see uh, how it how it goes on. But but yeah, of course, um, also with all those COVID. Uh, Cases, it will be uh, something very um, important that you got a wide right team, that you got a lot of players who can, who could, who, who could support uh, your team. Uh, and we saw that Denmark in the final match, also the same with Spain, had the opportunity to feel a love playing time for some of the not that good uh, players uh, who hadn't played that much. So I, I think that that could be the case when we see match seven and uh, six and seven and so on. So of course it's, it will be more difficult to play this fast kind of handball throughout the tournament, I guess.
3: I just like to come back to to what you said there about Norway and Sweden, and you as a professional handball player, it, that style of handball that got them to that got them their success over the last few t- tournaments, is that style of handball kind of is there a limit to to it in, within a certain group that a certain group can only play like that fast for that long, and then you kind of almost get burnt out. Do you see a little bit of burnout maybe with with Sweden and Norway?
0: It's a difficult question, I guess. Uh, I think they have the players to play that uh, kind of handball. Uh, of course, Norway, they have lost uh, Jørgen Johansson and, and Maunus Rød, uh, and they both have uh, very good strength in these uh, transitions uh, type of play. So that's, of course, difficult for them now to, to play the same, same kind of handball. Uh, but, yeah, of course, I think they could go on with that type of handball. I, I still think they have the, the types... Uh, you need to play this kind of handball because, uh, of course, I think that other uh, nations, they'll have some problems with, with doing the same things like some of the Balkans team and they don't they just don't have the, the types. Uh, but the, I think the Scandinavian teams have everything it takes to play this power handball, I, I would say.
1: Now Let's uh, for the viewers at home, take a look at the group one standings as they are. All of these teams take one game with them into the main round and that leaves us on three teams with two points that's denmark france and iceland while the netherlands croatia and montenegro begin on zero four games each into the main round so it leaves things very much wide open and uh, i think it's a it's a good thing you mentioned the denmark iceland game rasmus because it feels like particularly to me that the Denmark-Iceland and the Iceland-France games are going to be really, really key here. Uh, maybe an obvious thing to say, saying is that the three teams on two points, but uh, with two spots in the semifinals to go for. And that being on the very first day, what do you think uh, of Denmark's championship so far? They have had a on paper at least a fairly comfortable ride but what have you made of them
0: Yeah it has actually been like some of the other championships uh, in the past to be honest it's it has been very very easy for Denmark uh in this group phase uh, uh actually maybe just too easy uh, and now they get like a very very important match against Iceland as mentioned uh, it will be be fun and exciting to see uh when when playing against a uh, a much better team than and the ones they they faced in the group phase, uh, it's it's just like it's it's just too good for Denmark right now, right? <laughs> no COVID cases, uh, no injuries. Matthias Kisses just announced that that he should be ready for the next matches. Uh, of course, very very important. And and when he was out, uh, Niklas Kirgeluge came in, made nine goals uh, in a row. Now, and yeah, so it's very very difficult for me to say uh, something bad about this team. Uh, a thing that's been talked about in, in the Danish media could be that Rasmus Lauge, who played a very, very good Test match against Norway, uh, haven't uh, looked like uh, not that good uh, anymore offensively. He has played uh, okay, but but it looks like he he need more time to um, to play with uh, Mikkel Hansen and, and Matthias Kiesel, uh like to to adapt to that kind of handball, and, and that could be something. Um, could be a challenge against Iceland. Also, of course, we played against them in the last Euros, and uh, Lauge had a very bad game uh, at that time and, and lost uh, a very narrow win for Iceland. So it's, of course, possible for Denmark to, to lose against Iceland, because I think when, when Iceland play uh, at the top of uh, their level, they could uh, win against every team in in the main round, and, and they have had a had good run right now. Uh, but to find something bad to say about Denmark, I think it's very difficult at the moment, to be honest. A,
4: a common opinion that I've seen a couple of times uh, over the last week has been that um, even a Denmark 2 team or a B team for Denmark would probably make it to the semi-final of the European Championship. Do you do you share that opinion?
0: I think it's difficult to share that opinion, to be honest. It's maybe a little bit disrespectful. Uh, of course, Denmark has uh, have a lot of good players and so on, but you also need to have respect for the other teams. Uh, so I don't share that uh, opinion, to be honest.
3: You talked there about Kirke impressing you. Um, was there anyone else in the Danish squad that you maybe had an unexpectedly good performance that you were particularly impressed with? Uh,
0: I actually think that everyone made good impressions at the moment. Maunen he he has been amazing once again and just uh, continued the uh, level he, he showed, uh, at, uh, as, as he marked the work this season. So, uh, hmm, who had been uh, greater than I expected. I actually, I had some, uh, doubts about, uh, Michael Hansen, who, uh, who had problems in Paris saint germain in the, uh, before the championship didn't play that much, but I think that he had stand out and played very, very good. So, uh, maybe him.
4: Yeah, that's it's so interesting with Mikkel Hansen because it seems like he has been in a periphery role with PSG for the last couple of years. He hasn't performed at his best level, but at these championship he just comes out and tears it up. It's it's incredible to see him raise his level so much. Uh, why do you think that is? Uh, why does he raise the level so much for Denmark compared to uh the domestic leagues?
0: I actually think it's quite natural because he he plays very fast in the Danish team, and uh, with the Paris Saint-Germain it's very individually. It just, it just suits him better in the in the in the Danish team uh, because we play faster in Denmark than than it's uh, it's done in in Paris Saint-Germain. Because I think uh, Paris Saint-Germain, of course, plays great, but it, it's much more individually, and it had become better with the. With the signing of uh, luke steins but it's still another type of uh, playing
4: yeah definitely and i, I think while michael hansen himself is not the fastest in the world but his he might have the fastest brain in the world so if you have uh six other lightning fast players running around you uh Mikkel will make the right decision Nine out of ten times.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and he just needs someone who can who can create this type of uh, playing like fast-paced uh, handball, and then he can choose the right things. So uh, totally agree. Can we
1: take a look at the other teams? We have Montenegro, who you already uh, dispatched with from a Danish point of view, and and it's hard to hard to imagine them being uh, real candidates in here. Um, the Croatian team, I think, is a particularly interesting one. They had a a tough start to the group. They've gone through about 40 players already uh, to find the the players they want in the squad at the moment. But as one of the uh, commenters in the chat mentioned, they seem to be really enjoying this uh, us against the world mentality in a difficult situation. I think it says a lot about this team that they can bring in players from out of nowhere
0: and integrate them straight away. Do you think they can be a danger in this group? I don't see them as a contender to go to the semi-final but I think on the day they can probably beat some of the other teams. Uh yeah, they have had a lot of problems with the covid covid-19 and several players are out uh, and it's just very very difficult yeah.
3: But I think obviously the Dutch has been a story for most people as kind of like the the fairy tale fairy tale story of of the event. I I mean it's a silly question but it's obviously a massive surprise for you too, no?
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, I think they they did well at the last Euros. And, and they have some top players uh, in Paris saint Steins, and Kai Smith, of course, in, in Magdeburg. Uh, but to see them uh, go through in a group with, with Iceland, with Portugal, and with the home team, Hungary, I didn't see that one coming. But as we mentioned before, I think it will be, be difficult for them uh, throughout the tournament because they play with... <laughs> Uh, eight nine players Uh, so uh, i would think it would be very very nice for them to get a victory or two in the main round uh, but i doubt it
4: yeah it's interesting so i think with the netherlands i I do agree that it would be tough for them to progress but do you think they might be able to Kind of cause a shock early on do you think they, they have enough momentum to take a result from uh, the teams looking to qualify for the semi-finals like denmark and france uh, you know will their style kind of break down those teams or do you think they're just too experienced to allow that.
0: Yeah, I think the problem for the Netherlands will be against Denmark and against France that they will not have the same opportunity to get the easy goals in the transition uh, because both France and Denmark are very used to that and do it themselves. Uh, I think they they had good opportunities to do it against the teams in the group phase, but it will be more difficult against France and Denmark uh, Yeah, to surprise them with that. Of course, also Denmark and, and France, they now know uh, the Netherlands uh, have uh, a good level, and the way they play, they have uh, yeah time to uh, adapt to that tactically. Uh, so yeah, if they should win some matches, it would be more uh, like against Croatia and Montenegro,
1: I guess. So based on the process of elimination, then it seems like we have three teams who you believe have a chance of going through to the semi-finals from this group, and that's Denmark. France, and Iceland. What do you think the key areas are going to be between the matches between these three sides to actually decide which to go through?
0: Uh, For Iceland, uh, I think they are the underdogs. Uh, They need to uh, be better defensively, have some more saves, uh, so they get the chances to try to make those easy goals uh, for the uh, counter-attacking. But... um, uh i i don't see them having uh, so so great opportunities but but they need to be better defensively and they need to maybe make some uh, tactical adjustments uh, to surprise france and denmark uh
1: do you think they can uh
0: honestly no uh i maybe uh i think that Gudmundur Gudmundsson is a coach who knows the danish team very well uh and could make some surprises uh, as he did uh, like uh, two years ago. Uh, I maybe think that they will go even more aggressively, more uh, high uh, in the in the defense who maybe could surprise Denmark. But uh, the problem for Iceland is now that uh, two years ago, they had Denmark had like Rasmus Lauge and Jakob Holm, who was very great uh, one against one. But now we also have uh, Matthias Gitt. So the problem is if you go very high uh, on some of uh, of the players. We just have more players who can can go for the breakthroughs. So, so I don't think that uh, will be an option. So uh, And Denmark, also of course, also have the 7 against 6. So for me, I think that Iceland has a greater chance against France uh, than Denmark uh, at the moment.
3: It's a similar question to one I asked you earlier about Denmark, but let's maybe open it up to the, this group in general because I think you're a very good person to, for keeping your eye on uh, budding talent and uh, some names that wouldn't be uh, big names just yet. So just from this group, are there any players that really stood out to you that you really enjoyed watching and developed throughout the tournament?
0: I think Gisli Kristjansson, the, the Icelandic uh, playmaker who, have, who has had so many uh, problems with injuries. He has played a great tournament so far. Uh, a very modern player who, who has the speed uh, and uh, has uh, caused problems for every Every defense he have uh, faced uh, at the moment, so I think that it is nice for, uh, to see that uh, he is on the right path at the moment. Uh, and then I would have loved to to sit Kalconnan in France, but of course he's in pick right now. But I've been very very uh, impressed by the level he have shown uh, he has shown at, uh, at the uh, European Championship. So and uh, then I think that Branko uh, Vujovic for Montenegro has played very well. Of course we have uh, seen his uh, qualities in, uh, in Kelse, uh, uh, mostly in the defense, but, but also offensively. But now, of course, with Montenegro, he has a, a greater role and he has played very nice the last two matches. Um, uh, and then I also have to mention, uh, Tin Lucin, uh, for Croatia. Of course, he have, he has gotten his uh, breakthrough also caused by all the absence for, for Croatia, but, he has been very nice uh, to, to watch. Uh, I also think that you, you've guys mentioned him. Uh, he has the speed. He has uh, uh, he has a great vision offensively. Uh, so uh, that's some of the players I've, I've looked into. And of course, we can also mention the two uh, Dutch players, uh, Kai Smits and, and Luke Steins, who uh, of course have have done great. And I also think that Danny Bryan's had uh, had played a mm. great tournament so far uh yeah. so there's actually a lot of players, uh but uh the one I uh, the one I just mentioned uh, is probably most uh yeah the one I finger
4: and maybe a last question so you've been commentating for TV2 um and you seem to be getting maybe the the third and the fourth game of the day uh so uh, on that day where we had uh, three huge games uh, you were watching Norway-Russia, which turned out to be uh, the, the big game of the day. But how have you managed that? Uh, have you been re-watching or are you doing four screens and commentating?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I don't do uh, four screens and commentating. Um, yeah, I of course watch only the, the match I commentate and then uh, I go home and then I watch uh, yeah some of the matches at the same time also. So I've almost managed to watch all the matches so far. But of course, it's, it's difficult also because I've, I've been in the studio in, in TV2 and also that's the same time when some of the other matches is played. So it's difficult also because uh, we have uh, four or five matches at the same time sometimes. So, uh, yeah, uh, I haven't slept that much so far. So it's nice with a break today.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, just before we let you go, then Rasmus and, we brought you here for this group, Group 1. Can you give us a quick thinking, first place to last place, or last place to first place in Group 1?
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I would say last place, Montenegro, uh, second to last, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Croatia, and then uh, the Netherlands, then Iceland, then okay. France, then Denmark.
1: I think that's, a, that's a solid prediction, but... We're all here to make predictions and, uh, well, it's only when people get them wrong, I realize now that the backlash on social media comes. When you get them right, like we did for the Women's Euro last year, nobody says a peep. It's only, it's only when you get to, to bring people down. I think that says more about the internet uh, than anything else. But uh, brilliant stuff, Rasmus. Thanks a lot for joining us for the chat. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you on. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch over social media, of course. Do you get to keep, uh, continue commentating for the rest of the championship? No, I'm done now. I'm done now. Uh, just like me, out in the preliminary round. Yeah, <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Rasmus. Take care and uh, talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Real. Bye-bye. So that was Rasmus Boisin. Uh, lovely to talk to him, as always. And an interesting prediction from top to bottom there. And uh, we'll go into our own predictions shortly, but now we're going to Statman Kulesh for a look at what has stood out for the teams in Group One.
4: Yeah, I've I've had a look through um, some of the stats from the preliminary round and picked out some uh, tasty ones for us to chew over. And I think there's just one stat that completely stands out and everyone should be aware of, and that is the historic performance that we've seen from Kai Smiths. Not only is he just, he's averaging 10.7 goals uh, in this tournament per game, but to realize just how historic it is, um, we have to say that he actually broke the record for the amount of goals in the first three games of a championship with 32 actually smashing the previous record of uh, 30. So, um, really historic stuff from Kai Smits. The question is: Do you think that he'll actually be able to keep going at this pace, at the pace that Netherlands play in the main round, and still keep scoring goals? What What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Rasmus put it well there when he was saying that um, you know teams, particularly like Denmark and France, will be expecting what the Dutch will bring. I think in particular they'll know what luke steins will offer but they definitely will know about kai smithson at this stage it would be ignorant not to and it's not just from his performances at this championship but his performances over the last few years as a whole i think either way he he can always find his way through the goal whether he'll be scoring an average of just over 10 goals a game i don't think so but he definitely over the next four games uh will have a very good opportunity to make himself the top scorer overall. Uh, I think that's a nice target for him. I don't know if he actually thinks so much about uh, his own personal goal tally. I think for any player at that level, it's not really important. He's just doing what he can, and his role in the team is to finish off chances like that. So I'm not sure if he'll be able to continue at that pace, but that's not the important thing for him and this Dutch team.
4: What's also really funny is that he has been an absolute bomber by nature. Goals only. He only has three assists in the championship. So there are 32 goals and three assists. Uh, so pretty, uh, individual stuff from, um, Kai Smits in the of four so far. Just some additional stats. I've got two for France. One is that, uh, Gerard is having an unbelievable tournament again his safe percentage of 42 percent has been impeccable um throughout the start of the tournament so it will be really interesting to see if he can keep that up and he has been keeping it up since tokyo so um there's nothing to really say that he, he his level would drop and if it does uh france do have Pardan to come in who is an incredible goalkeeper in himself and in the few minutes that he played um, in their last game, he showed some impressive saves as well. Um, and it's really good to see Pardan back from um, his uh, knee injury that kept him out for uh, oh, just over six months. But the other one is uh, France leading the way in steals, which is something that um, maybe caught me by surprise. And uh, France have 20 seals in the competition. That's quite a bit higher than um, any other team. So I think the second is 15. Um, And uh, that's something that I don't know if we talk about enough is uh, France's defense. We talk about France's defense on the women's side and how aggressive it is, how um, dynamic it is. Do you think that is an underlooked part of France's? Repertoire, Brian.
3: I think it probably is. I think because it's maybe not the easiest thing for for uh, neutral handball fans who aren't that big into tactics to understand. So I think it probably is a, a an underrated part of their game. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's funny how Gerard seems to pick uh, pick the tournaments, and he's picked this one to turn up, and uh, he's having he's having uh, an amazing. When he's on form, he just looks absolutely incredible. As we, as we said in the past, sometimes consistency is a little bit of a problem, but he's, he's definitely on
4: fire this time out. But yeah, that, that's a tough combination. Uh, France's defense and their goalkeeper is having a good day. So, um, yeah, it, again, for some reason, a lot of people overlook this French team. Maybe it was the trouble with the build up that they had, but it seems like they're starting to get rolling. Uh, Just two more quick ones. Uh, One is that Iceland have been the best wing shooting team um, in the tournament so far. They have scored 75% of their shots. So that's 25 goals from 33, which is um, pretty impressive um, and something to keep an eye on. If um, they get into the the close games, they might um, rely on the wingers a bit more than other teams in competition. And lastly, there's just one stat that just blows my mind. I, I don't know. We've talked about Matthias Giesel so much. And for some reason, he keeps surprising us. He's only played two games. But in those two games, he has scored 12 goals, uh, has not missed a shot. He has also added 14 assists. And on top of that, he's also drawn six seven-meter uh, penalties. So he's doing everything at an absolutely perfect level. <laughs> it just keeps blowing my mind.
0: Our
1: uh, our next guest will be particularly happy to talk about Giesel because he was instrumental in bringing him to his club for next season. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll get a word in about him as well. One thing about the Icelandic wingers, Bjarki Mar Ellison is definitely uh, showing, putting himself in the shop window. He said publicly he wants to play in the Champions League. He's leaving Lemgo at the end of the season. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I don't think that's public yet, his final destination. But uh, whatever he's doing, he's doing it well at this championship. Uh, before we move on to group two, uh, we'll hop on to our previews for group one and uh, quickly go through that. And the interesting thing for me is I decided to look uh, at all of our predictions here and put them into a table. Because I think there's a very big difference between people predicting matches individually and then also predicting the wider scope of the tournament and saying who's going to progress where. So while you can all see on the screen our different predictions, shall I give everyone an insight into who exactly we thought was going to qualify from this group based on those predictions? Oh, absolutely <laughs> so because um, i think it's uh, at this point and, and the time we have it's maybe a bit more interesting than going game by game we all had denmark at the end with the top of the group and uh, only i had them win every no brian and i had them on 10 points at the end of this and denmark on eight uh with for alex which means that they according to alex will lose to france as you can see on the uh, the prediction scoreboard there. And both of you, Alex and Brian, have France going through in either first place for Alex's case, Brian in second place. I put Iceland in there. Ooh. Um, I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but then I thought Iceland versus France, there's a, there's a real opportunity for this team to pull off something in this main round. Uh, Rasmus put it very well before. And... uh Rasmus put it very well before and saying that we, that Iceland don't really produce in the main round over the last few years, but this is a different team. Uh, for they have players in every position that really, when you look at them as individuals, you're like, they are a solid player. And uh, I'm really excited to see what they'll produce in the main round. What did you think of uh Your actual predictions there when they're put onto a table, Brian?
3: A little bit surprising, but I think. I'd probably agree with this and I wouldn't be as convinced about Iceland as you are. I think they come up against Hungarian side who are maybe as we, who are under severe, severe pressure with hosting the tournament and the new arena, as we talked about before. So I think, I think maybe Iceland might struggle in the main round. So I probably, I'll probably stick to what I didn't mean to predict uh, by, by
4: guessing all the scores there. <laughs> Do you want to highlight one? uh wild card results that I did put in, and that is the Netherlands to beat France in the opening game of the main mm-hmm. round. Uh because I, I think That's this wild. Netherlands team has one more big performance in them before they're completely exhausted and then uh just exit the competition. But they have one big performance it's gonna happen against France. But that doesn't do enough to get them through in the end. Well to talk about group two now
1: we've gone through group one in detail we're going to bring on our next guest he's uh, sc Magdeburg and german legend over 200 appearances for the german national team an olympic silver medal a european silver medal he's won the champions league with sc Magdeburg, and he's also at the moment the sporting director of Füchser berlin he's a commentator for this championship as well with sport deutschland the list is endless. Let's bring him in. Stefan Kretschmar, can you hear
2: us? How are you Hi guys? I hear really, very, very well. I'm fine at the moment. Even there are a lot of struggle and a lot of problems that we have in the German team already <laughs> at the moment. So today came up uh, another big news. So obviously another four players are positive COVID. So. I think we really struggle, but uh, that is the advantage of Germany, that we have enough uh, German potential national players that we can bring into the competition.
3: So despite the, the troubles that you've had, um, if you had to give the, this German team a score out of 10, what would you give them so far for the tournament?
2: You know what, Brian? I, I, when, I see, when I saw the game yesterday against Poland, uh, I also spoke to Alfred, uh, to our coach, about that. I had to remember, I don't know, 10 or eight years when I had so much fun to watch a German team. So it was, for, for a long time, I didn't had so much fun watch a German national team like I saw them yesterday and uh, how I celebrated them yesterday. Because uh, it's a young team. I think it's the first tournament where we don't expect nothing from the team. So it's not a young team, but it's a a team with the, Don't have so much experience uh, when it comes to European tournaments or world uh, term um, world tournaments, and they are just fun. You see that that they are not so under pressure. So the mentality of the Germans in the last tournaments uh, were hopefully we are not losing because the pressure of the media in our country is always always big, and they they went to tournaments with that pressure and with that mentality, and now it's the first time. They cannot lose. So they can just win. So nobody expects something from them. And that's the way how they are playing. I think the mentality fit us more to our country and to our team, uh, even though I, I know that we have 750,000 handball players in Germany and we always have high expectations. But uh, but they play really good. I also like the way how they play, how they defend, and how they stick together as a team. So. You also see that it's team sport now and that uh, it doesn't matter which uh, which player you you talk everybody said that there is a great team spirit and the great atmosphere in the team and they all have fun together there is no big superstar so everybody knows his role everybody feels important and that is uh, quite secret of the team now i give it i give them the 7.3 so my number is 73, so 7.3 would be. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the way that you describe this team,
4: uh, does it draw any parallels with the the bad boys uh, of a couple of years ago? Um, where it, again, it was a, a team that surprised. So do you see that parallel,
2: uh, Alex? The, that's a good uh, question, and and everybody discussed that parallel in, in Germany. So everybody said, okay, that's the same like 2016 uh, when we won the European Championship. Could be. But when you do that, then you put pressure on the team again because then you <laughs> then you raise the expectations and then you say, okay, you have to be like the European champions 2016. Yeah. It could be, but honestly, we have to say uh, the pre-round was not that difficult. Um, they were tough Belarus and uh, also the Polish team. Uh, they are good, but the teams on the next level they come now, and of course that are uh, bigger, bigger challenges. Uh, what we have now with Spain, Norway, Sweden and Russia. So um, we have enough self-confidence now. And I think we we can win against that teams. That is uh, that is for sure. But uh, we should not raise the expectations now. We just uh, we just should enjoy the team and see the development of the team. Because like I said, many players didn't play, not even one. Championship and what you need now in the main round, when it comes to close games, it is experience, and obviously that we don't have. It's a very good point, and
1: one of the main comparisons for non-Germans, so people outside of the German German handball community, is that there are players coming into the squad now that people aren't so familiar with, and as you said, are lacking that experience. Can you give us a, a bit of an insight into some of the younger, newer players that have really impressed you? In these opening days uh, from the from the outside of the squad, and which of those do you think have the quality to to make up for that lack lack of experience when they face the big boys in
2: the main round? I told before the tournament that we don't we will not have that one player or that two players uh, who step up in the tournament i when i when I have to speak about the tournament before, I had to say that in every game there are different players who have a coming out. So there are always different players who make that game to their game. So it will not be always the same player because we have, we have not that dominant player or that superstar player. So every player will, do, will pick a game and will make that game to his game. So yesterday it was obviously Julian Köster. He is a 21-year-old guy from the second league from Gummersbach in Germany. So probably nobody knows him in world handball, but he is a really good guy, talented guy. He is an amazing defender on a a 3-2-1 defense. Um, with his two meters, he is like a small Duvniak and he can defend there very well. So he is a good guy. We have a 32 year talent, Christoph Steinhardt. It does feel like that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he is not a talent anymore, but he is a, a newcomer, so he never played a tournament. Uh, but he is a good guy because of character and mentality. He is not such a talented, extraordinary Magnusson or Gitzel, but he is a mentality monster, and he brings that chemistry from his mentality to the team. So we have good wings. Traditionally, uh, we have Philip Weber. And Philip Weber is also not the guy who play his 6th, 7th or 8th tournament. He is still new, but he is kind of a leader that we need. And we have two amazing pivots with uh, Winsek and, and Kola. And I think the defense uh, was also very good in the last team. So I cannot tell you one name. I need to tell you a few names. And I don't know about who we will speak in two or three days because... There come always new guys to the team, so I don't know <laughs> if enough. they invite me at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you never know. You never know.
2: <laughs> oh, you see, Rune Danker probably is out. You no, know? so then mm. you have Schiller out, then you have uh, Lucas Mertens out, you have Danker out. So they don't have a left wing. I mean, yesterday the second goalkeeper would be Paul Drux. <laughs> I mean that that would be the guy if Yogi Bitter would be injured. That's cra- crazy times
3: you're, you're someone who has a very obviously close connection with Alfred his and i, I say you presume you call him a friend um apart from all the uncontrollable problems they've had off the court what has he been saying about the team and how they're playing to you or has he been talking to you about that
2: well he's a hard worker and he's just amazed by hard work so if the team works hard he's okay i mean the team <laughs> is pissed sometimes because they have a three-hour video meeting something like that and that's not just only once. So he is a perfectionist. He is a really tough guy. I I know that because um, I worked for him, I don't know, ten years. It was a really hard, long time, especially in the preparation. Uh, he expect a lot. Uh, he don't accept injuries. So I had a lot of injuries in my career. But he said with that injury, you can play. So it was always, it was always this Icelandic mentality. Um, but obviously the situation with COVID is different. Um, but he's a realistic guy. What is new for me, uh, when I see Alfred, he never could work with young players. So when he, uh, was a coach of Kiel or of Magdeburg, he always had his first seven and the first seven played always so he just trusted his uh, seven best players and he played with him with them all the games and now uh, I see a transformation um, in him that he also changed the team and he bring young players to the table and he trusts them so he gets older and obviously he gets a little bit wiser and he trusts now young players and that is a difference between him now and him five six years ago
4: Moving a little bit into the wider group and sticking with the coaching topic. Um, so Russia have been a bit of a surprise in this championship and uh, their coach, velimir Petkovic, is someone uh, you're familiar with uh, quite a lot from his time in of Berlin. Um, have you seen his style kind of come into Russia and actually drive this Russian team?
2: Yeah, he is a little bit contrary to the development of handball general so he is the only guy who plays old school i mean he uh all, when you see the transformation of handball worldwide and you see iceland and you see the netherlands how they play how how they change the game um and then you see russia i mean that's old school that, that is a six zero defense with two meter tall guys in the in the middle in the center also on the halfback positions and that is how the russian had success in the 80s uh it was a good goalkeeper behind but you know there are the, the the thing is you can have many ways to have success and that is good news for the russian team that's it's not just that everybody had to copy now uh iceland or netherlands to be success successful no, you can also be successful with a different opinion. And Petkovich is a guy who, who's, who was looking for what he has in the Russian handball federation. Big guys, tall guys, good defense, not the best ball handlers, but, but uh, tough. And that is, that is the secret what he had. And he is a mastermind when it comes to motivation. So he is not a genius in handball, strategical way, but he is a genius in motivate the players. So when you, see, when you see him in the halftime or in the preparation of the game, I mean, everybody is fixed when after his speech to the team, everybody is motivated on the maximum. So he really can get through you with his speech. And that is what he's doing. He is a psychological mastermind. He's an old school guy. And I really like the Russians, how they defend with all the heart. I I didn't see a Russian team uh, for a long time who put all the heart uh, on the field, what they have. Uh, so I really like them, how they play, how they fight. And they have Chitnikov as a strategical um, mastermind. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Rotov is out now with the COVID-19 uh infection and that is a problem uh, for the Russians uh, in the main round that they lost him and Shishkarev but i really like him and and yeah petkovic is is a guy if you if you have a good team and if you have if they have mentality problems or if they are not motivated every day or if they lose control uh or if you think they can work harder then you put him in a circle because then he's the right guy then He's coming and he's changing everything.
1: The general. Basically, he's a good guy for, for uh, kicking them up the arse and getting them going again, is what <laughs> he's saying. <huh?
2: laughs> Therefore, he's the right guy. Right.
1: Talk to me a little bit about Norway and Sweden. Uh, looking at the group here, I don't think too many expected both of them to be coming in with zero points based on the groups they had. Uh, but here they are. Rasmus told us earlier on that what surprised him most is that the success that these teams have had has been based on a certain way of playing handball and a certain pace they've played. they've both kind of abandoned that or haven't been able to reproduce that yet so far in this championship. Is that how you've seen them so far yourself?
2: They are still among the favorites, so they they can still win the championship no no question, but both are in trouble, and there are different reasons why they are in trouble uh, I think. The Swedish team is in trouble because they lost Max Dari. I, I, he is m- more important than everybody think uh, for this team as a as a, as a defense uh, general on the floor. He is quite important for, for that team having success. In offense, you don't have to, I don't know, you, you don't have to worry about because Gottfriedson and Klaar will take over whenever they need. But, uh Defense is the problem of the Swedish team. And then the, the, the loss of Dari uh, weighs heavy. Um, Norway is a little different. Norway look exhausted. So the players look exhausted. They look uh, a little weak, especially Zagosen. is not on that level that we expected uh, from the tournaments before. Um, I saw that also in the Bundesliga that his level of playing uh, was going down and down and down uh, in the last months, in the last one and a half years, because he also played so much. And there is so much pressure on his shoulders. I'm not sure if he can handle that in, in that age. So um, they lost Röth and Zuck and, and they are two really important players for them uh, when it comes to their whole playing system, how they change, how they get dressed for the other players. And without them, they are not on the same level like they were in the tournaments before. So I think the losses uh, of that important players also affect strong teams and strong nations like Norway and Sweden. And you see now that they fight handball. They they don't play handball anymore or it looks not so easy anymore. They have to fight hard for the results. And that is a difference. uh, them in that tournament than to the previous tournaments, So they still have amazing players. If if you look at the squad of Sweden, I mean, that's one of the best squads in the world. Even also, if you think about the future of that nation, what players come up and will come up in the next years. Uh, But the defense is the key. They have to control the defense and they have to establish the defense again uh, to win a medal on the tournament. And Norway, I expected that that they are not so good this this tournament. Uh so because yeah, they, they look a little exhausted.
3: It's interesting there what you said about uh Sagersen. I'd just like to ask you slightly off topic, but um we'll come back to the euro in a second. Do you think because you've been through the ringer yourself as a top uh professional handball player in, in the Bundesliga for so many years, do you think a move away from the Bundesliga for Sagason is the right move for him to maybe gain back a bit of that power again?
2: It's a good question. Um at first, if you want to become World Handball, Handball Player of the Year, that is not the right move. So he will not uh, get the trophy of World Handball Player of the Year as an individual award when he goes back to Norway. That is not possible for him. So personal um, uh, success should not be his first target, uh, in my opinion. But it is his hometown. and He had the opportunity to build something up in his hometown. And as I know, they put a lot of pressure on him because they said, if you don't come, we don't pay the money. So they make it, they made it personal. So they put it personal on him. So the whole project will not work if Sagosen will not come. So he was the first stone of that, that project. And if you put that pressure on a 25 year old guy, who had to make a decision if a club with Champions League ambition exists or not, I mean, that's not fair. That's, that's, that's really not fair. So then it was not really a decision for him. So he had to make that uh, in order that Norway want to get the competitor. Um, but it is it is nice for him to come home and uh, also for the other players because look how many injuries Röth had or how hard the Bundesliga is. Uh, and they decide to go home to have probably two strong games against Elverum a year and hopefully, and that's not sure when, <laughs> playing Champions League. And of course, for your body and for everything, uh, it's better to play in Colsa because you can recover from everything. Uh, it is not that tough like uh, you play in the Bundesliga. So that is a, a clear yes for Zagosen. But you know what? I was a professional handball player. I always prefer to play Bundesliga because that is the biggest competition uh, with, with the, the biggest opponents every weekend. And, and you play sold out arenas every weekend. Unfortunately, they are the last two years not, but uh, I like the competition always. And uh, I can also understand guys who struggle with many injuries or who are 32, 33 years old who want to extend their career a little and make another decision and go to another country. So you have to take, uh, you have to speak always with the players who made the decisions. It's always different, and you have to respect the decision. I mean, uh, finally, uh, Brian, when you can build up a Champions League team with a lot of ambitions in your home country, you have to try that. I mean, that is that is a re- real opportunity.
4: And maybe talking about a. A new star that has come in and really uh, lit the handball world on fire, and that is Matthias Giesel. Um, And again, this tournament, uh, I don't know if you were already watching this, just how perfect of a tournament he's having already. Um, It looks like it it will keep going. But my question is, uh, from a Fuchs of Berlin uh, point of view, how the hell did you manage to convince him to come over to Berlin?
2: I was the first guy, I think so, um, who who, uh, who spoke with him, or who wanted him when, you know, in, in the whole handball world, I think, I don't know how you think about that, but everybody is still doubtful about him. So there's still a rest of uh, being doubtful. Uh, can he... Can he hold that level? Can he manage the Bundesliga? Is he ready for that? Or is he still an upcoming star or something like that? So I heard so many questions about him. And I, I think all the clubs had, had also that doubts and, and they had that questions. And, and, and they were not sure if he can become a real leader or a real tough player. And uh I spoke with him the first time after Egypt. It was his first um, tournament for the Danish national team, and I was sure that I want him. And I told him that that I I am sure that I want him. Uh, And we had a long conversation. We invited him also to Berlin, and we had a good evening. Uh, Really amazing guy, Um, and we have already three, four Danish players in the team. What helps a lot, uh, I have to say. Also, when it came to the Olympics before, before, because before the Olympics, we had no signed contract. So we were, we agreed, but, uh, we had no signed contract. And then the Olympics starts. And then I, I asked the manager of him, what is about the contract? When he will sign? <laughs> and the manager told me, uh, be cool uh he don't want to sign the contract in a shitty hotel in japan so he will come back and then we make an official <laughs> press conference and we will sign the contract then and i what the fuck? how, how can i trust them i mean th- that is not <laughs> that is not the easy situation and i was nervous i i tell you alex i, I and i was not sleeping the next 14 days So I was just nervous because I I didn't have a signed contract. The manager told me you can trust us. We made a decision. So then he played the first game Olympics best player. He played the second game best player. He played the third game best player. And then he got he got MVP finally. And that was the worst. What can happen? So. (laughs) and then every idiot on the planet knew that he will become a good player, uh, after he got the MVP award uh, at the Olympics. And, um, but he came then to Berlin one week later, uh, and he had, uh, he told me, you know what? It is the same like with Georgie and Alborg in Denmark. He prefers to win with Georgie against Alborg than to play for Alborg. So he is, uh, how can I say that? He is the, the underrated like, guy. Yeah, underdog. Yeah. The underdog guy. And and he said also he prefers to win with Fix Berlin something big than to join a big club now. So when I can tell you, when he signed the contract in our office, uh, I saw the phone of the manager on the floor because the phone was charging. And I, I, I watched at the phone and i saw the names of the managers who called who call, tried to call them in that situation <laughs> and I, just, I, I just put my body in front of the phone like this <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody can see that anymore so oh. yeah we are really happy to have him we're really happy brilliant story and we
1: gave him our, you mentioned the IHF World Handball Player of the Year, which doesn't seem to exist anymore. So we made our own this year and we gave it to Gizel for 2021. So we're definitely not doubting him. Uh, yeah, brilliant story and uh, well done getting him. I think that's, uh, that's safe to say. Um, we'll do one more round of questions. I know you've already been very generous with your time and uh, we don't want to hold you for too long. And I just want to ask you, because it's 20 years since you played in the final of the EHF Euro in Sweden and uh, got the silver medal there. And I want to ask you, first of all, what your abiding memories of that incredible final and the extra time were. Uh, and secondly, as a wing player yourself, uh, looking at the, the wings at this championship, do you notice anything uh, particularly new when you're looking at players like Dylan Nahhi maybe, for example, or... Uh, We've had some fantastic wing performances at this championship. And and what kind of players stand
2: out for you? Well, first of all, from that championship in Sweden, I still wonder why the Swedish team uh, keep the gold medals. I mean, they should give them to us. What 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 is the moralistic standpoint? I mean, that is 20 years ago. Now they can really make some interviews and be kind enough to give us the gold medal because we deserved that, and we earned that in the game. Obviously, the referees saw it different, but uh, it's bad karma for them. So they should be honest and should say now, okay, we give the gold medals to the Germans. No, <laughs> no it is, it is, it is how it is. Um, when when it comes to um, to the wings, uh, it is like everything in handball. You. It becomes more athletic when you see, especially Dylan Nahi. I mean, he is a, he's a monster on the, on the wing position. He is, he's is a guy who could defend also on the second position. What you didn't see so much, you see Magnus Landin can do that, but not so many more. Uh, he is amazing guy. He's really in an athletic way, a role model. What I don't like is that he tried to cheat a lot when he, Runs the and he runs the the fast uh, break counter attack. I I really hate that how he how he runs the fast break and when there is a defense player who is aside him and he tries to take the contact to get us two minutes or seven meters something like that. So it's not necessary for a good player like him to play a handball like that. So that is what I really hate about him. But, um, handball wise, he is an amazing, uh, amazing handball player, amazing, amazing wing. Um, yeah, you don't see so many new trick shots. Uh, you see a lot of guys who can do trick shots. That's the majority of the players. But you also see wings who cannot do even one trick shot anymore. So they are just straight wings who put the ball straight. Uh, <laughs> in the goal so that's also possible at our time uh, to have uh, wings like that no i i don't see a revolutionary uh, development from the wing position so it is the wings have to do what they always do and what i don't like is nobody can do a one-on-one anymore nobody do that no wing mm-hmm. player do Search for a one one They just wait for their chances and then they do that and with a high quality, of course. But 101 from wing position, you don't see anymore. It's a little, little sad.
3: Yeah, from how you're talking now about, about everything and when you were talking about Fuchs of Berlin before and now working as a commentator, it seems to me that you're really, really enjoying your time after handball. And uh, is there, are there aspects of things you learned as a professional handball player that you've brought to now your
2: professional career? Hmm. Good question. At first, I I stopped playing handball because I lost motivation from one day to another. So that was the reason uh, I didn't have the, the motivation any anymore. Uh, at one point, I don't know why uh, I, I lost the desire. Uh, so I, I I stopped with 34 years old uh, in Magdeburg. And uh, but you know what? I, I love this sport so much that I always wanted to work also in that sport. And I'm still a fan of our sport. So I watch so many games. I um I, I like to watch uh, other other nations, uh, European Championship. Now also Bundesliga, I'm a big fan. So I think that is that is the base of everything that you are still a big fan of the sport and also uh, of, of the players. Um, what helps me now that I was a team player. So, um, that allows me also to move into a team like a TV channel or, or something else. So bring everybody together. I think my, my biggest strength as a player was bringing everybody together outside the handball field because I, I thought that that was always important. So. What we bring on the field is nice and it's good, and it defines us as handball players. But to give everything what we have on the field, then it's necessary to share some moments out of the field. (laughs) So, And I was the professional organizer for events, for the team, (laughs) something like that. Uh, That helps me also a lot. And I I still have that insight even if I'm a little older now, but I try to organize that now also for my team, Füchse Berlin, that we, that we have a better community and uh, we have a better team spirit, even if the times changed. And now we have to include the woman in my <laughs> in my in my age. So just the team went out. But today it's different and the players are different. The situation is different. So if you create an event for the team, you have to create the players, their women, and their their children also. So that is that is quite different now.
1: <laughs> more family friendly.
4: <laughs> uh, it sounds like it's all getting more boring. You know, the wingers are getting more boring. The parties are getting a little bit more boring. <laughs> but um, yeah, but but thanks a lot for all. all of, all of the stories, all of the knowledge you've shared. And before we let you go, um, we'll have to ask you for your predictions. So before the tournament, I think you said that Denmark would win it and that
2: Iceland would be a surprise. So Iceland,
4: I think, have already come true. Denmark looked good.
2: Yes, uh, the biggest surprise are the Netherlands. So they really impressed me. And everybody who is a handball fan uh, should enjoy the Netherlands games i mean that is also when it comes to the importance of role models then you see the team of the netherlands now and probably you are a young small player who had not who is not that tall and who is not that big then you can dream big if you see the team of the netherlands i mean the handball is different now the handball changed also from the backyard position you can see that you can be successful uh, also when you are not that tall and that is the importance uh, of that Netherlands team to show to the young guys, to the youth, to the young players that they can get big, even if they're not that tall. So also they are like Magnusson or Kristiansson. Um, they they have that role model character now for, for, for a generation, for a few generations. I like that. I really like that. Um, so Iceland and the Netherlands are surprises, good surprises. Hungary is out. That is a bad surprise, but it's, it was the same group. So if you have good surprises, then you have also uh, have to have a disappointment. And Denmark is. What do we talk about Denmark? I mean, Denmark is the only nation beside Germany. Even if they have ten COVID nineteen cases tomorrow, they can bring up a completely new squad on the same level. I think so. Uh, that is either you want to be Nikola Jacobson or Eivor Gislason so i think if that is a national team with so many talent uh with so many good players so amazing players i think it is the big um the big uh, the biggest team in the in world handball now with uh, so many superstars um, and i uh i said that uh, Niklas Landin will be the mvp um so that is still my prediction that he will be the most valuable player of that tournament because he is honestly the, the strongest goalkeeper in the world. I don't know, some of you said Enzo Banhidi will be the MVP? Did I? Correct. Some yeah. of our guests
1: did. I don't think any of us did, but. Uh, oh, I, I did, I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you,
2: Brian? I okay, did, yeah, I did. I didn't want to blame you for, for that because <laughs> honestly, he was also injured. I mean, that is, that is not. Yeah, it's, true. That's a true. And honestly, everybody of us expected the Hungarians probably on the, on the medal, uh, uh um, situation. So it is the biggest disappointment of that tournament so far. But of course, I'm still with Denmark. So I know their mentality and that mentality also changed in the last 20 years when I remember Denmark in the nineties and Denmark was always a nation who lost control and he was not that strong minded when it comes to the tough time of the game, when it comes to the table. So then you you saw that Denmark really sucked uh, when it comes to the last minutes of the game. But they are completely different now. I I mean, they are really the best team uh, in the world and they deserve that. So I think nobody can beat Denmark. I know in World Handball there are games where they can lose also. So they are not unbeatable but uh, they will get the trophy at the end.
1: You had Germany in fifth place originally. Do you think they can sneak their way into the semifinals or you think it's with
2: everything that's happened, it's too much of an ask for them? I know, Chris, everything is possible, but everything. So this team can also lose all the four games. That all, Also, that is possible. So And we should not be disappointed. You know, that is Germany. Now we are on the peak we are happy and now we've become the European champion and the expectation rise and rise and rise yeah. and uh, we put more pressure on the team now uh, but you lose tomorrow against Spain and every, everything goes down and down and down. and we are the worst team of the tournament and so we should enjoy the team at the moment and I really I call me an expert, but I don't know what to expect uh, in the main round from our own team. I, I don't know what comes out. May, maybe they win against that grandpa team from Spain, but probably they are so experienced that they're still the most clever team in in, in Europe. So everything is everything is possible.
1: Well, that's the the crazy thing about this championship, and uh, we're all going to enjoy it over the next few days. That's for sure. Thanks a lot, Stefan Kretschmar, for joining us. A pleasure to talk to you, and enjoy the rest of the championship.
2: You too, guys. Have fun. Take care. Take Bye. Care. Bye.
1: Brilliant stuff from Stefan, and uh, I think you know he he just said it all in one way or another about this group, and uh, we're going to try and uh, go into our own previews for this group and as you'll know people watching that uh, as Stefan said it's so hard to call this group particularly given all of the changing circumstances not just day by day but hour by hour it seems (laughs) uh with among these teams but we'll go into
4: uh Kulesh's stats now for group two yeah I thought I'd I'd throw out some stats here uh for this group two and um yeah, the first of which it was actually a surprise for me because I've been looking at Sweden and uh, they haven't been at the level that they were previously. And my initial assumption was that maybe, you know, all this playing with six players for Flensburg for three years straight uh, is all kind of on top of him and he's not as good, but he's the top assists um maker in this championship he also has 14 goals from 17 shots he has been good so it's definitely not um Iim got who is the problem which is uh, which leads me to kind of in a bit of a wonder of what exactly is the problem i think um rasmus and stefan uh, shared their views about their slow play a little bit but do you see a way of them kind of speeding up this play, Chris. I think another one there is what uh, Stefan mentioned with uh, Max
1: Darje, and it's no surprise that he did because he's also signing him for Fox of Berlin next season. <laughs> <laughs> so of course he's a, a key player, and he's not the only one to to mention that. And yeah, I mean when it comes to transitioning into the attack, I guess there's no reason why they they can't pick it up. Um, they, like everyone else, did have uh, fragmented. Uh, preparation period, and, and maybe it's something to show that for for teams like this that are running on a certain type of uh, attacking play, that they do need more time than others to to get into it. Another thing is that the Swedish team from the last year at the World Championship and at the Olympics were a bit of a surprise to everyone, and um, particularly if we think back to this time last year during the World Championship. The way they played caught everyone off guard. And maybe it's also a case that uh, teams are extra prepared for them uh, and are focusing on their own transition defense in order to stop Sweden doing what they do best.
4: Yeah. I, I still have quite a lot of faith in them and um, in this group. Uh, I think it will go into our predictions on that, but I do have them progressing uh, to the semi final. Second stat there is Germany and they're absolutely incredible 9-metre shooting. Um, so they've scored 70% of their 9-metre shots, which is 14 goals from 20. So it's, it's not the highest level of shooting. As you can see, Norway have taken 47 9-metre shots. So Germany haven't been shooting um, from the backcourt that much, but when they have, it's been incredibly successful. The average... I think for the competition is somewhere between um, around the forty percent mark, so shooting twice as good as uh, any other team, and I'm not sure if that will continue. And uh, that may be why uh, for me Germany might not get through to that semi-final spot. But on Spain, um, Brian. So you've seen a lot of Spain um, in in the first uh, group phase. And the stat I have there is that Spain um, have only conceded five, seven metres across the three games, which is the lowest in the competition um, so far. It just speaks volumes to their defence and the way, you know, the famous defence and how that works in such a, a good way that they've only conceded um, eight minutes of, of suspensions Again, a a really low level. So, can, you know, how have Spain been able to do that while losing Viron Marash, Brian? Well, I think, I mean, Spain's bread and butter is
3: a really, really strong defense, fast attack, or fast break, sorry, and their wingers. And it's, it's not only Spain's A team. Spain also have this B team who have these, these backup players who they can bring in, who they've brought in now. So the, tr- the tr- transition of, of these new players coming to the team is very, very smooth. And I think that's probably been the key aspect because they have this system that they use throughout the Spanish national teams. And it's it's it, it's like a blueprint they put on everything. And this, they trust that system. And even if they do miss one or two players, like VR has being a huge one, Everyone knows the system. So the, 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 the period where you have to learn the whole new system is very, very short or, or the adjustments they might have to make. So that's the thing that's, that Spain do really well. And how they've played so far has proven that, I think. Um, I mean, they're on the largest winning streak in the history of the competition with 15 games now that dates back to the EHF Euro in 2018. So they know what they're doing when they're playing this tournament. And I've been. Uh, We 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 did have some questions before in in our preview about them, but I've been impressed by them. I think yeah they were pushed a little bit by Bosnia Herzegovina, but it it was it was I think they were they had a lot of new players on the court and they were kind of had their foot off the gas to to a certain extent. Um, But I'd be fairly confident that they'll they'll do a number on Germany in that first game.
4: And just an additional point on Spain is that. Their defense has been good, but their world class goalkeepers have not been very world class. Um, Paris de Vargas on 22% save and, uh, Corrales on 19. So what I take from that is actually a positive. They've been able to, uh, win easily and progress without yeah. their amazing goalkeepers and they have another gear to go. So, um, Spain overlooked as always. Dangerous as always, probably going to win the European Championship, as always. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, hold your hand.
4: <laughs> no, no. That's, that's a bit looking too far forward. Um, some quick stats and maybe then we'll just go on to the predictions. But um, I think uh, we've we've talked about this, how Norway... Are relying on their 9 meter shot and they've had 47 um, 9 meter shots and scored 21 of them. Not a very good return um, overall so it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, figure that out and on top of that they've only had 10 breakthrough goals in the championship which is a complete 180 to where we see handball going right now and that being the focus. The only team with more Long distance shots is Russia and, uh, Stefan, uh, went through why that might be the case of that old school style. They've taken 52 and um, nine meter shots. So they're big bombers bombing away. Um, and lastly, um, Poland have five players with uh, more than two hours played of handball so far. Um, the only teams above that are. Iceland with six players with two hours, um, of handball played and, um, the Netherlands with seven players above two hours played. So these two, three, this, these three teams have been very impressive so far, but they have really relied on their core crew. Do you think that they can keep going for at least a little while? Um, Chris or Brian chip in to see. Which one of these teams, maybe between Poland, Netherlands, and Iceland, has the most potential?
1: Well, for me, it's Iceland because I put them going through to the <laughs> semi-final <laughs> based on the predictions. <laughs> uh, I still, I still don't know. I still don't know how I did that, but uh, that's the joy of of putting your predictions and actually seeing what they result in. Um, and based on the predictions I've made there, I actually see the the polls not getting a single point wow. in the main round. So I think that says um, what I think of them going into this. Um, and actually, both of you guys have them down for one victory in the main round. So maybe they will struggle, but I, I think that is probably more to do with the opposition they're going to face uh, and, and the clash of styles. I just when looking at the, the clash of styles here and looking at the way they played against Germany last night that
4: had me worried for their future in this competition yeah absolutely i i had a lot of hype after those first two games but uh, i think it's been knocked off a bit against germany
3: so out of all the scores there now uh, do we have any do we have any hot takes and look at you alex anything anything that you were putting your neck out there for
4: i think actually in this group I, i i didn't quite have um as many hot takes i've got one
1: I've got one for you. Well, I've got a,
4: I've got one which, which
1: actually shows a bit of contrast in the way that we're looking at the teams here. Uh, and that's Norway. I think it's quite interesting looking at how differently we see their main round group going. Because uh, feeding into the final table here, Alex sees Norway get one single point in the main round. Brian sees them get two points in, from the opening game. And I see them get, win the first two games, then losing the next two. So that's quite a difference in the way that we're looking at, uh, Norway's future here. Uh, besides that, I think actually the hottest take here is you, Brian, going for Germany to win three of the matches and, uh, qualify for the semi-finals.
3: Yeah. As you said, I didn't really realize that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> when you put it down. <laughs> Um, that might be a bit of a stretch. I'll be honest; uh, I'm not I'm not so confident in that anymore. But look, I won't. Uh, I'll have to trust my my instinct because it's been rock solid so far. Uh, as I said, 732nd place in the in the leaderboard, in the overall leaderboard. And then I think I'm 31st in the handball hour league, which, of course, you can still join if you want to get in now. You might still beat me, so uh, not, not be too hard, but. But yeah, I mean, look, as, as, um, Kretschmer said, they might not have the biggest superstars, Germany might not have the biggest superstars, but they do definitely have the biggest pool of players to, 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 uh, take from. And that in a, in a strange way could be a benefit for them over the length of the tournament. And, um, yes, yeah, so I wouldn't count, I wouldn't count Germany completely out yet, but I think they're going to be, a, they're going to be a lot of, it's going to, it's a, they're defensive tough there's some really really big guys in there so i think you're always going to get a a tough match when you play against germany so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, count them out just yet one thing which everyone is really bad at by the way is and we've seen it a million times before is a team plays poorly in the preliminary round and everyone counts them off and there's always one team who played poorly in the preliminary round and turn around in the main round and have go on a bit of a run and i think generally Hamble fans are pretty bad. We get like to give up on people very quickly, uh, Alex. And, uh, <laughs> well, well, I gotta, I gotta come to
1: Alex's defense here because, uh, he's done the quite complete opposites with Sweden and Sweden, who were, were seconds away from elimination, uh, in that drawn game against, uh, Czech Republic. Alex has them down as winning every main round game and qualifying for the semi final, as do I.
4: Why Alex? Because I predicted them to win the championship, so I'm sticking to that prediction <laughs> It is pure bias from my original... no other reason <laughs> no I no I I, okay. no, I, I, I think um, again, I think Sweden's performance haven't hasn't been as bad as uh, they seem so far. Um, I think they will figure out that center of defense because i do like oscar uh, Bergendal. Um, he has been a fighter he's not the sa- same level as um max starish but i think he'll grow into it i think um that that will happen and hopefully they pick up their pace as the main rank goes on and to be honest this group is wide open Um, i really you know you could flip any of these results and uh, they would look good um or look like they're right and um i'm just really excited for it we
1: also have spain winning all the games and qualifying top of the group all three of us which means that's basically a death sentence for this Spanish team <laughs> in the main round, I mean, if you want, if <laughs> if you want to know how it's not going to go, is something that everyone agrees on, and that seems to be that Spain are coming out of the depths of prediction hell into the semi-final. We'll see if that is the case or or not. Uh, another wild prediction we have in the chat is from Starfish Robot and saying that Germany beats Spain after being forced to use a non-goalkeeper in goal. Uh, Stefan Kretschmar mentioned Paul Drucks there. Paul Drucks apparently said he was disappointed that he didn't even get a chance to face a penalty uh, the other night against Poland. And uh, Daniel Raveman, I think, has been called in as a second-choice goalkeeper. So that may or may not happen. You never know with this championship. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> When it comes to some teams, they're definitely having a lot, uh, lot less luck than others. Any other big predictions we should go into before we wrap this show up?
4: I think we're good good to go. Who's your uh MVP of the tournament now? Since uh Brian, you've lost Ben Subanahidi. Um <laughs> I, I think I'll stick with Palika. If uh Sweden do um get through as as I expect them to do they'll need Palika at the top level. Uh, but yeah, Brian, who do you replace your MVP with?
3: Oh, I think the MVP of the preliminary round, just for the story as well, has to be Kai Smith's. I mean, I think it's there's nobody else, I think. Just what he's doing uh, in terms of, I mean, also being top scorer, it's always not not the reason to pick him as MVP, but just that, yeah, how he's carrying his team and he really stepped up. I think he would be the definitely the MVP of the preliminary round if you had to pick one.
4: But what about going forward? Will Kai Smiths just keep tearing it up and <laughs> take that MVP crown home? I'm not sure. That's that's
3: tricky because I, obviously I don't think they're going to progress to the semi final, and it, it's not going to be someone outside of the semi final teams. So that's tricky. Now, what do you think, Chris?
1: I, I'm wondering how high do the Netherlands have to finish for Kai Smiths to be given the MVP?
3: Top eight, well, but you're not going to get the MVP though. You're not going to get the MVP outside of the semi final teams, are you?
1: I mean, if he scores another thirty. 30- two goals and in, in three games and then does another 10 i mean he's you know he's Maybe. he's gonna get yeah. the top scorer trophy he'll be in the all-star team for that um yeah i i went with Saugstrup pre-tournament i think that's still uh pretty solid for now i think anyone who predicted a danish person uh and yes, it, unless it's uh yannick grain uh they they have a chance to to come out on top still but yeah brian pick someone pick
3: someone who you haven't already I'll go for Matthias Gitzel. Why not? We'll stick it with the, the top, one of the biggest topics of the whole episode.
4: Mr. 100%. <laughs>
1: Mr. 100%. Why not? I mean, it's probably going to be right. I think that's uh, enough to to go on for today. Brilliant show. and Thank you so much to Rasmus Boysen and Stefan Kretschmar for joining us. And thank you to everyone who watched at home. Plenty more to come in the Euro. The main round kicks off tomorrow with six matches and we'll be continuing our podcast every two days for the rest of the championship so from brian alex and myself it's Mm -hmm. goodbye